Hey, everybody, it's Ferran Wozniak with the IASIS podcast. I'm here with IASIS president, Gene Schantz. Gene, how are you doing today? Doing well. Thank you, Woz. Good. Yeah, great. Thank you for being on our, our show. Absolutely. Um, I know our viewers, our students and staff, and anybody else out there uh, is looking forward to this, this broadcast. Uh, Gene, last week uh, when I did the, we did the Celebrate podcast, I believe I stated that um, IASIS was formed in 1991, but uh, you correct me. It was actually what, 1990? I believe... Yes, because this is our 33rd year, and 1990, I believe, is when it was formed. I could go back. Maybe 91 was the year it was incorporated, but okay. but I, I don't want to be quoted on that. But it's my understanding that the organization was formed in 1990. We could pull up the bylaws and see all that okay. on that date. But, yeah, we're in our 33rd year, and, uh, yeah, formed by a bunch of police officers that uh, were uh, – um, kind of got together. We're doing a lot of reverse engineering on, yeah. on digital di digital media and started teaching each other. And then they realized there's no other place out there that there's nowhere to go to get it. All the data was proprietized. And I'm summarizing. I was not there. I, I wasn't part of all that stuff way back then. But I've heard the stories told over and over again. And, and uh, what's really cool is all that work, like the, the EO1 for the expert witness format, yep. all that stuff, that was an in-case, uh, a guidance software yep. deal. The guy that developed that was one of the original members. Okay. And many of the practices that are taught in colleges and university came out of what these founding fathers and the early, the early trailblazers did and all oh, wow. that reverse engineering. Uh, uh, Chris Dippich with Digital Intelligence is actually a great one. If you ever get him cornered, Buy him a drink and have him tell you the story because it's it's amazing when you start going back and talking to him about all the stuff that happened back then and right. all the technology that came out of it and these big companies that were made because of the work these founding fathers did or these these original members did. So yeah, I, back a ways. 1990, 1991. I I think email was still used maybe just by government entities. I don't think it it, made, it, it wasn't mainstream. You know today when we're not at a conference in today's day, uh, you know, we do everything on Teams. We have Zoom meetings or Teams meetings. Everything's, everything's done remotely. That's how, that's how we run as, run as an organization. What back then was everything done, I guess, snail mail and telephone calls? I, I would, you would assume, right? I, I don't know. I mean, I, I think email was around in the, okay. in the 80s because I remember you got mail with AOL and stuff like that. I think I got my first personal computer uh, in the... In the um, Somewhere in the 80s, late 80s. I mean, my dad, I remember as a teenager, my dad had a Texas instrument that yeah. was just a keyboard. Yeah. And we had to use the monitor, the TV as a monitor. Yes. And, and we, everything was recorded on an audio cassette tape. Yeah. So, I mean, that, that's how far back my, my recollection of that goes. But, yeah, I, to tell you whether or not snail mail was around or email was around back then or not, I couldn't be 100% sure. I know I didn't get my first cell phone until I was, like, 98, 90, 90, yeah. 95, 96, somewhere in there when cell phones, you know, when I started my own yep. company and was doing construction work. But uh, but technology's come a long way Absolutely. To, your, to, to your previous statement. I mean, when I got certified in 2007, um, you know, we, we did our certification on a floppy disk. I mean, we used disk edit. We had to use free DOS because at that point, DOS was dead, basically. Yeah. And there yeah. was licensing issues. There's all kinds of problems with that. So, um, and then we eventually moved into using uh, forensic tools to be able to do the same thing we were doing mm -hmm. with disk edit. So, um, which was, you know, that's now we're teaching what we, what we did back in 2011, 10, 2010, 2011 is when we made that transition. So. The, the, the growth of IASIS with these conferences, do the conferences or the training events, 
Did they start immediately or did they, did they just evolve over time into, into this big conglomerate we have now? So the board of directors kind of provides the vision for where IASIS goes and where we, where we want to be over the, next, yeah. over the course of the next few years. And I think that's kind of held true ever I've been on the board. I, I just completed my 10th year on the okay. board, my fifth year as president. And, and yes, I mean, I can tell you when I attended uh, the Sheridan in 2007, I, I want to say there was about 180 or 190 students in the class. And that was so impressive yes. to me that yeah, we had yeah. that many people in the class. They had specialized classes that I didn't really have visibility into as a student because I, I was never in those classes. But uh, when I came back on staff in 2010, we were still at the Sheridan. And uh, in 20, when was it? I want to say 2011, 2012, we moved from the Sheridan uh, to the Marriott up mm -hmm. in Lake, Lake Mary, and where we were able to get about, I want to say around 180, 190. We, it wasn't really a growth move, it was a lateral move, okay. but it was a nicer hotel. We, were, we, we had a great relationship with the hotel manager that used to be at the Sheridan that had gone up to the Marriott, and we had a number of rooms there, but we were, we were rapidly grow, growing. We had people that were wanting to come in and participate in the basic class. Yes. I remember one of the last classes we taught, we had two last minute people come in and the only way we could put them in the room was to line them up facing <laughs> towards the class on the side yeah. because they were begging. They said, we'll take any seat, yeah. we just want in. <laughs> and so we, we set it up that way and it was like, okay, we got to do something different. And then a couple of our directors, uh, I think Mark Johnson and, and uh, Brent Weld started to go on a, a, a road trip and they mm -hmm. found this place. And uh, they were like, this is impressive. And we realized that there's a lot of potential for growth here. Oh, absolutely. And so we moved in here. Uh, we've been here for seven years at the okay. Royale, and it's suited us very, very well. Um, we've, we've grown. I mean, our, our first event that we put on here at the Royale was 350 students in the BCFE class. That was massive. It was so big that even, even the way we were, because we were coming from being the big fish in a small pond, mm -hmm. we were now the small fish in a big pond here there was a lot of learning curves and, and it was just, it was felt that it was just too much. Let's pare it down to 300 and go from there. And then, and then we also decided, hey, this is gonna be a good time to start bringing in vendors, yep. to start bringing in their followers that wants to get their certification and bring them all in into the network of what is IASIS and, yes. be, and bring them in. And it's actually worked. I, talking with the, uh, the Axiom class that's being taught this week down, down the hall, um, he mentioned that several of his students that were in the class last year, in his Axiom class last year, are up here now taking the BCFE class this year. Okay. So, yeah, it's, it's grown. And it's just kind of taken on a life of its own. This year, we're at 324 students in the basic class. We increased it a little bit. And then overall, because of the vendor classes and the additional classes IASIS has added to, the, to our, our list of classes, such as the RAM class, the, inscripting, yep. or the scripting class, um, we have the DPICT class, which is the attorney class down at the other end of the hall. We have an OSINT class that was new this year. Um, because we've added all those classes, we have, I think, in total about 700 students that are coming students. through this event. And we have our largest number of staff ever, which is we were just under 150 staff. Wow, and that includes you and the teachers in the, yep. in the BCFE and uh, board members that are here and, and just management staff to help keep this thing on, uh, you know, moving along. So yeah. definitely one of our biggest events. Yeah, it's not so much the instructors, it is the, the behind the scenes staff, you know, the support staff that keep this, that keeps this machine, you know, fluid and moving. There is a lot of work that goes on behind the scenes. I mean, the, 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 the training side of it is a, 
it's been so finely tuned and polished yes. over 30 years that it's once the train kicks off and leaves the station, it just goes. I mean, there's always going to be a little issue here, a little issue there, but those guys are, they know exactly what needs to be done, how to fix it. If they get off topic or they go a little bit long, they absorb it here or, or whatever, and it's pretty transparent to the, to yeah. the students. But what goes on behind the scene, John Ohm in, in the hibiscus room, yep. which is our operations team, or what we used to call the road boss. Yes. Um, you know, he manages all the equipment and, 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 and making sure the rooms are laid out the way they need to be laid out to get the right number of seating in there. I interface with the hotel to make mm -hmm. sure that we got everything in, under contract that's supposed to be there. And the hotel's been good with us. We've got, we, we, get, we get probably more, more uh, concessions from this hotel than probably any of their other any of their other contracts. I, I'm speculating on that, but I've seen right. our concessions and yep. I know what they are. And then you got the board of directors who also help out. We, run, we usually run the, the registration nights. We hold our board meetings throughout both weeks uh, while we're running around doing other things. Mm -hmm. And then you've got uh, Dave Melvin, who's our secretary, who's running the office. We got office staff in there, print certificates, the name tags. Yep. Uh, there's just a lot that's going on. And then, of course, you. I mean, this is our first time doing a WebEx. Yep. Or yep. not a WebEx, sorry, a, a web conference or yep. a, a, a podcast. podcast. Thank you. Um, yeah, I mean, this is awesome. This is so cool that we're actually doing this live from the event. Yeah. So I, I, I think it's... And our marketing, uh, I want, I got to throw a kudos to Rich Johnson with our marketing. I've seen more vendors here at this event than I've seen at any There's other event. A lot, We've yes. had a lot come through here. Yeah. And so it's been, it's just been an outstanding, an outstanding num uh, way to grow. And uh, it's just really cool. Yeah. And we're also, we're using social media to our advantage. Uh, we, we advertise or promote um, every aspect of ISIS through the various avenues of social media. Um, so that's, that's, that's one other aspect that, that it shows that it's the sign of the changing times and how we're evolving with those times. That's correct. Yeah, yeah. We, we, uh, the social media impact, I think, has been really big. Yes. Um, and, and the fact that we're now doing a webcast, that we work with Cyber Social Hub to, uh, to do a podcast with them, and it's just, been, it's, it's just been really good for us all the way around. Yeah, and that's, that's quite the evolution from... Um, what 1990-ish uh, Oregon, right? That's where that's where that's everything where we're started. incorporated, correct? And then it spread through the United States, North America, and now we have members or, and staff in um, South America, Asia, Africa, and the Asian Pacific. It, it, it spreads. I mean, how many? I mean, just our pamphlet alone shows all the all the flags, and, and the big room has all the flags uh, hanging in the big room. That's it's amazing how how it. Yeah. It's spread throughout a global a global organization. I, I don't recall off the top of my head how many how many countries we represent, but it's I think we have it on the website, or it might even be in our pamphlet here. But um, but yeah, we've been actually asked to go teach in Australia. We've been asked to teach in Hong Kong. We've been asked to teach in in you know, we do a European event every mm -hmm. year. Teach in OLAF, which is the, the European Anti Fraud Union okay. deal. They contracts come over. Um, we we. Um, uh, We've been asked to go to India. I mean, we've been asked to go a lot of places. And it's funny because we were just having a conversation with a, a law enforcement member of IASIS who is working with the White House that is trying to, to that, that, that told us, if you go actually look at government agencies on Indeed, the CFCE is actually a requirement for a lot yep. of those agencies, yep. which is really good. That's, yes. the, the CFCE has become the law enforcement standard. Now, there are a few private companies that are requiring mm -hmm. the CFC, but they're not as, they're not as, we haven't gained quite the traction okay. there yet, but it's getting better every year. 
So, I mean, last year we had Deloitte come down as a sponsor yep. to talk about yes. their company. Yes. You know, my company, Aon, um, they, they allow us to come down here and teach and, and give back to the forensic community. So, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's a good thing all the way around. Good. Uh, Gene, we, we spoke uh, in depth about IASIS, but let's, let's spend a couple minutes on, on Gene Shantz. Um, from your, your days as a, as a police officer to your current professional uh, role now, as well as your role as the president of IASIS. Sure. I don't know that I'm that interesting. I mean, I, I got out of high school and started a contracting company, and I did that until, until 2002 when I was recruited into law enforcement. And at that point, I was just happy to be a cop. I enjoyed the yep. job. And I walked into my, my sergeant's office one day, and I saw him doing a peer review uh, problem set okay. in the office on disk edit. And I was like, is that computer forensic stuff? And he's like, he was like, yeah, you know, he's a little gruffy guy. And, and he's like, I said, that would be really cool to be part of that. Well, as time went on, in 2006, I, I, moved, I promoted to corporal. Uh, 2004, I promoted corporal, and I, went to, I, I moved up to the detective division. Okay. And we just sent somebody through IASIS in 2006, and there was another person another detective that was earmarked to come in 2007. Well, right before he came, right before he could come here, it was like literally a month out, he got wow. promoted to okay. sergeant. And because he was going to sergeant, they said, well, we're not gonna send a sergeant there because he won't have time to do exams, so Gene, do you wanna go? Like, yeah, I want in, I wanna go. So I come down here and you know, the rest is almost history because <laughs> I, I really fell in love with the organization and everything it stood for. Um, and like I said, I, I got my, back then the certification was a, a year-long process, almost a year-long process. And I got, I, I got my, I submitted my final exam in early January, it was either late December of 07 or early January of 07 or 08. I got, I got my certification right in that time frame of 08. Um, and then in 2009, after doing some exams and getting a little bit more comfortable, I came back as a peer review coach, uh, volunteering my time to, to coach and mentor others. And then uh, I had an opportunity to go to the BCERT class okay. where I yep. met Glenn LeBlanc, who was yep. a trainer. He was one of the trainers in my uh, 07 class. And, and through those connections, I was able to get my name in the hat for staff. Okay. So I came on staff in 2010. Um, I taught four classes my first year. Wow. I, I developed two classes from scratch and rewrote or modified two others. And because I was doing those, they asked if I wanted to teach them, and I did. And I found out later that was a very rare thing. They, only, they didn't want new staff to teach anything right. more than a one, one or one or two hour block. Right. And I ended up teaching four. Um, I guess I did a good job because they asked <laughs> me back. Um, but it's interesting you bring that up though, because back then, like I said, when I, when I went through in 07, we were on disk edit, and as we were on staff, we're dealing with free DOS and licensing issues mm -hmm. with all that, and. Uh, we were, I was having drinks with uh, one of the directors, the director of training at the time, Keith Lockhart, in 2010 at the end of the event, and he was talking about how much he hated Disk Edit, and he just, he wanted to be away from Disk Edit, but we didn't want to use automated tools to chain the fat. How would we right. teach it? Yeah, yeah. And I, I threw out the recommendation. I said, hey, can't we just do Disk, can't we just learn how to train the fat in hex? And he told me, he said, you figure out how to do that and how we can print it so they'll understand it, and we'll make the switch. So I did. I spent the summer doing all the research on it. Uh -huh. I drew it all up, wrote up the article on it, and I sent it to Keith. And he's like, I love it. We're in. Let's build this in. So I ended up rewriting the entire fact class for 2011. And much of that material, almost 90% of that material is still in the class still, today. Because we're today. using disk edit sure. now to chain the yeah. fat. And now they see it in hex, and it's even better. <laughs> because now when they see the fat, 
in hex, they understand what they're yeah, looking at. Right. Instead of disk edit, which actually rendered the fat as these little blocks and gave them a number. So it was almost automating it in sure, itself. Sure. But, but yeah, anyway, that's my big, that was my huge contribution to the training, uh, uh, the training committee back at that, at that time. 2012 or 2012, 2013, I was nominated to serve on the board um, by, uh, for a vacated member, uh, Doug Elric ultimately was selected. Mm -hmm. There was a couple names submitted. And then the director of training at the time, Troy Lawrence, actually recommended I run for the board. I gave it some thought and decided why not I'll run for the board. Um, and I got elected in 2013 and I've been on the board ever since. Um, served Ten as years. the director of e-services for four years. Uh, after that, I went to vice president for one year. And then in 2018, I took over as president from Jim Dibble. And this, I just finished my fifth year as the president of the organization. Okay. So, yeah, they haven't kicked me out yet. So, um, and I guess I'm doing okay because the board keeps voting me back in as president. So, good. What is, I mean, everybody knows you're the president. What is the role of the president in IASIS? What, what's, what's the duties and responsibilities? So, if you go read the bylaws, the bylaws says the president is basically the chief executive officer of okay. the organization. So, my job in a nutshell is to just make sure that all the spokes of the wheel are all rolling in the same direction. The chairman of the board sets the, uh, you know, manages the board meetings mm -hmm. and runs the board group and helps provide vision for, you know, the discussion around vision and where do we want right. to go in the future. Then my job is to kind of help make us get there. And so I actually have my fingers in a lot of pies, which is, you know, we have a director of standards, we have a director of e-services, we have a director, we have a vice president who is my backup, but also runs uh, his own committees. Okay. We have the ethics, the ethics committee, we have certification. So my job is to kind of have my, my finger on the pulse of what's going on in all those committees to make sure that we are, um, that we're all working in concert with each other as right. much as possible. So it can be a big job at times and it can be a, an easy job at times. But I can tell you from January till this event kicks off, it's a lot of work because I'm interfacing with the hotel and working with training to make sure we have everybody's got rooms, yep. all the contract stuff's done there. Um, but uh, but that's that's ultimately in a nutshell what I do and 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 I, I as the chief executive officer of the organization uh, I I'm responsible for the signing of contracts and committing the organization to any contractual obligation gotcha. whether it's financial or other so okay. and then of course I can I can share that with I can ha I can appoint someone else to sign a contract if it's advantageous to do that or if I'm incapacitated right. for any reason. And of course, Brent Well steps in as my okay. vice president and can help out in that regard as well. So, um, but yeah, that's that's kind of what being the president is. I, I enjoy it. I have I have a lot of fun doing it. It can be taxing at times. Sure. You, know, you can sure. you can say, okay, I've given myself ten years to the organization. Do I want to continue? And and um, but you get down here and you get recharged and you get excited again and you want to see, you know. You want to keep moving. You want to keep yeah. going. I, I don't. I don't really want to look forward to the day where I'm not coming back here anymore. Right. Because right. I, I see all my old friends, and it's my opportunity to to spend time with everybody yep. and, to, and to continue giving back to the friends of the community. Yeah, I under, understood. It's you know, it's uh, once a year for for a lot of the staff that, that come down here. You know, we only see each other probably yeah once a year. Yeah. For for two weeks. Oh, Gene, you made the transition from law enforcement to the private sector. There's a, a uh, myself included, there's a number of uh, staff, students, or even viewers who are close to that transition um, to it. How, how, can you tell us the differences, I, I think, work-wise, uh, 
so between the two? Yeah, I think so. So law enforcement is dealing with the criminal element and there's a really strong focus in law enforcement on child exploitation images um, and, and, you know, fraud and, uh, you know, criminal conduct, yeah. which tends to be focused on one system or one computer, one cell phone. Of course, cell phones have grown immensely since I was yeah, in law enforcement. Absolutely. I used to hate doing phones when I was in law enforcement because back then they were the flip phones. Flip phones. And, and there was no cable that plugged into any one no. of them. You had to find the right one. Some would be supported, some wouldn't. And I just, I just detested phones. Yes. Well, phones have come a long way. Now they're a mini computer and you got these guys, you know, our, our mobile forensics folks will talk about chip offs and doing full extractions. Yeah. And so they're really their own, their own animal yes. in the forensic department. But um, when I left, what I came here uh, in, like I said, 2007, Started teaching in 2010, and I got I was uh, I was approached and said, "Hey, we think you'd be a good fit to come to IBM and be part of our incident response okay. team." And I was like, "Oh, that scared me." <laughs> I said, "Dude, I don't do malware. I don't know anything about malware." Right. And so it was a, a bit of an eye opener. Then the IBM went into a hiring freeze, and then a year later, in 2013, was the year I actually the same year I got on the board was the same year I ended up leaving law okay. enforcement. And the only reason I left law enforcement was one, the money was good. I was in, I had some personal financial issues I was dealing with that, that helped mitigate because I loved my job. I did mm -hmm. not want to leave law enforcement, but I still had eight and a half years to go. And I was not doing as much forensics in the department as I wanted to. And I wasn't getting the traction from the right. chief yep. to, to be able to go yep. into the lab full time. And so I was really afraid I would lose that skill set yes. that yep. I worked so hard to obtain. And so the, the next year when IBM came off their hiring freeze, I was asked again to apply. And so I submitted and, and uh, the pay raise was just, was just what I needed to be able to overcome. And that it's actually opened my career up significantly. I left, I left IBM and went to another company called SecureWorks after three and a half years. I was with them for just under two years and now I'm with a company called Strauss Freeberg, which okay. is a, has been bought out by Aon, but is a Strauss Freeberg is now considered a service of Aon. Okay. And we do, we do, I like Strauss Freeberg and what we do because we are not just incident response where we go and put the fire out when mm -hmm. somebody's got ransomware or they got a big security incident, but we also do digital forensic consulting where uh, uh, we call it a bad lever where, um, where, uh, you know, an employee might leave and steal information from their employer yes, to go to yes, another yes, employer. Yes. And so a lot of times that can end up in court, with civil testimony, civil litigation, where IBM said, no, we're not, we, if it's a case that's going to end you up in court, we don't want anything to do with it. So Straws, uh, Straws, short for Straws, Freeberg, or Aon, you know, we have that. We actually have a couple experts that are former IASIS members and have their CFCE or had their CFCE. Yep. And, and they do a lot of that, uh, writing dispositions, courtroom testimony. Oh, wow. Um, a, lo a lot of yeah. it. So... So uh, there, there is a transformation. If there's anyone that's in law enforcement that's getting ready to retire and transition out, we have the Cypher class that was taught by Randy Stone, uh, Ed Michael, and Tyson Beal, and Rob Blader. And, and it's a great class to kind of help you understand the different types of investigation. Um, the, uh, the one thing that is funny is uh, when I was recruited to IBM, it was like I've never, I've never walked into a data center and had to pull a bag of meth out from the computer or... <laughs> Or, or dust off the cobwebs. We got the cockroaches because, inside. Yeah, and you're not dealing with exploitation images. You're not dealing with the contraband. I mean, you can. There are cases where you could run into that, but but you're dealing with is trying to help companies get their security posture up to, to recover from a breach and overcome that so they don't sure. have a breach again. And so it's it's really kind of cool, and you run into some really interesting cases. 
And, uh, but it is a different investigation. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of log analysis. There's a lot of reverse engineering or malware analysis um, that, that you kind of have to learn and adapt to. But if you were able to get through your CFCE here and you really apply yourself, you can make the transition. It might yeah. take you a year or two to get really comfortable in your own skin doing that other type of investigation. But the Cypher class is a shameless plug for the Cypher class that they will help you kind of understand the different types of investigation. I mean, uh, uh, Tyson Beal, he was law enforcement, doing mm -hmm. primarily cell phones, taught our, w, taught our Windows Artifacts class. He came to work for us uh, at Straws, and, and he made the transition. It was ner he was nervous. It's, you know, there's a difference, because now you're talking with CEOs and, and C-level execs. Right. Um, but he's done a phenomenal job. Now, it's not for everybody, but if, you, if, if it's something you have an interest in, Pull me aside, get with me or get with Randy, get with Ed Michael, mm -hmm. and there's a number of others. Bart Sims, I think, works for another company yes. yep. uh, and does incident response, and he's been a godsend because he's actually works on our e-services committee and helps us make sure that our our uh, Office 365 environment is secure yes. for IASIS as a volunteer. So um, lots to be lots to be had here. The forensics, forensics isn't just law enforcement anymore. I mean, almost every company out there has an internal... Any, any company of any size has their own internal forensic, their own internal, internal forensics division, and then they reach out to companies like ours when their incident is too right. big for yep. them to handle. So, yeah. but um, yeah, I hope that answers you. It does, uh, yeah, and because I, I noticed, uh, you know, several larger organizations have, uh, I guess, cyber insurance that they could take out. I guess, and that, that's a whole new. That, animal. That's a whole other animal. That's a whole okay, new that's, animal. That's, that's, uh, the, the insurance companies are getting very much involved, and we've really seen the push in the last three to four years for companies to seek cyber insurance. And then, yeah. the, and then uh, our organization joins panels uh, where, where the insurance company uh, reaches out to a breach coach and then the breach coach has a relationship with us. And a lot of companies are doing this now where yeah. in order to have their insurance company cover the breach, you have to follow their process the, and the procedure process, and yes. their recommend. It's like, it's like your insurance saying, well, we, won't, we don't want you to go to this the, you know, you get your car in an accident. We don't want you to go to that one, but we will approve. You know, here's our list of approved body right, shops. Right, yeah. It's kind, of, it's kind of similar. The same system, um, yeah. But it is. We're seeing a big push for the insurance in the insurance industry. And, and um, uh, you know, uh, our company has been working hard to get in front of that and be part of that process. Sure, so, yeah. As, as are many others. Yeah, yeah. Gene, we talked about, and let's just close things up. We talked about the, the, the history of IASIS, the past. We talked about uh, the state of ISIS in the current day. Where do you see ISIS in the future, uh, in short term, in future? So the board's been working on, last year we've been working on a five-year plan. Okay. And, you know, traditionally we've always taught this big event in Florida. It was, the one, it was only the one event. Largely because, the, because we are a volunteer organization, we're a little bit limited to how many instructors we can provide. Right. We want to maintain our, our instruction quality. So, and then we have an event in, in Europe that, that is... Uh, for the, the OLAF, which is yep. the, the, the anti-fraud division of the European Union. And so that event's always happened in Europe, but that's a private, it's a private event. We don't sell stuff. They bring in people and we okay. go teach it. Here is a, an event that we sell. And we have also done, historically done events in, in uh, I think they did a BCFE in, in Australia back in 2008, 2009, somewhere around there. It was wow. quite okay. a long time wow. ago. Um, and then they've done some specialized classes in Australia. Uh, Brent Well, who was a significant player in bringing uh, a, a consortium together in New Zealand with different agencies. We taught the, the WFE down there, which is our Windows Forensic mm -hmm. Examiner in New Zealand. 
They taught our cipher class. They, there was a handful of classes that went down there to New Zealand until that consortium separated. Um, so we, that we've done that historically. So what IASIS wants to do now going forward is, and we're trying to really invest in our instructors. You know, this year I think we had 20 something or 17 folk, 17 staff come down to go through our train the trainer to try to yes. help get, to try to help get that quality where we want it. Because ultimately we would like to try to teach another BCFE either on the West Coast or okay. the US at some point in the year. And we're targeting, right now we're targeting 2024, 2025. Okay. Um, we've been asked to teach uh, in a number of locations, and those locations are currently being vetted to find out if it's feasible. And those classes would be classes that are sold. So part of the problem with that is we have to identify a trusted partner in that region right. that we can work under, and kind of get a lot of a lot of uh, a lot of prep work has to be done for that to happen. But we do hope to be teaching uh, three BCFEs, including oh, wow. this one, this one, the one in Europe. And one somewhere else, whether it's whether it's Australia, uh, Singapore, Western United States, wherever, uh, it, we'd like to have that happen in 2024, 2025, and potentially even bigger if we can get the staff and yeah. we can grow the staff to where we can send this out and 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 get it to where we can teach it around the world. That's ultimately what we would like to do. Yeah, that would be nice. Uh, you know, Kyle, if we just you know did a podcast from Singapore at a BCFE event, that would be that would be great. You know, <laughs> well, let's not get carried away. <laughs> I mean, we've been asked to go to Barbados too, but Barbados yeah, is only two-hour flight from here, so it's it's a little hard to justify Barbados. And I don't know very many. I don't know how we could sell a class in Barbados, but um, but you know, nothing's off the table. Yeah, we'll we'll look at anything. Uh, you know, if we're if we're being invited, we were actually invited to Tanzania. So that's, wow. that's, you know, we, we, we were invited to Tanzania a number of years back to teach a WFE class, um, but we gotta be careful too because some countries that want us to come and teach them are high-risk countries and, are, so right. and a lot right. of our instructors yeah. are government and government yeah. says we're not gonna let our right. instructors go there. So, so there's a balance, we have to look at it and that's yeah. what our, our, we formed a new, events, a new events committee that's being chaired by our, our vice president okay. and, uh, and they're doing a lot of that early leg work to find out is this tangible, can it work? And then we, as the, as we start getting to that point, then then once we have contracts signed and we're off and running, then it'll go operational and we'll we'll make it happen. We'll find the staff and, and get and get the seats sold. So oh, that's good. Tremendous, tremendous growth plans there. That's that's good. That's good. Uh, Gene, anything in closing? You got anything else for our viewers before we close up? You know, I, I just I'm gonna beat the IASIS drum again. I mean I, I think that you know, I, I fell in love with the organization when I came here in 07, but I, I can't I can't express enough how much this organization's opened the world to me. Uh, I mean, I, I had an opportunity to go teach in Germany uh, for IASIS. I had the opportunity to teach in New Zealand for IASIS. Um, and it's really, it's just, those of you that are sitting in the BCFE class, in my opinion, you've hit the lottery because mm -hmm. you can finish your law enforcement career out. And I recommend that you do. So you get that retirement pension, but there's, Keep it up. Keep your CFC current because there's a lot of there's a there's a huge demand for uh, forensic practitioners that understand good work ethic. Yes. And with a lot of them in there being law enforcement, they understand the need for work ethics, or, or, you know, good, strong ethics, where sometimes hiring outside of law enforcement, you don't always get that ethical, right. that ethical right. stuff. Um, so I just think that the. Uh, um, what this organization has done for me personally has just been amazing. I know it's done the same for a number of others. And um, yeah, study hard, do well. Don't procrastinate on your CFCE. Don't cheat. 
because we are we are a uh, we are a very ethical organization. Mm-hmm. And cheating is is your you know I think uh, when we went in the law, when I went through the police academy, they said if you lie, you die. Yeah, absolutely. And here it's the same thing. Yeah. If you lie, you die. If you're cheating, you're lying, and if you lie, you die. Yes. And 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 uh, and we can't stress to you enough. And unfortunately, as the president, I get to sign those revocation letters, mm-hmm. and it sucks because it really sucks to have to sign those revocation letters from people who are law enforcement that are cheating, thinking yeah. they can get away with it. So, um, yeah, I think that's that's probably all I have. Moment. Excellent. Thanks Gene, for your time, Watson. Thank you for coming on. Absolutely. Gene Shantz, president of IASIS. <laughs> oh, Thanks, you flatter Gene. me. Let me go find my <laughs> secret service entourage now. <laughs>